In this episode of Influencers, data scientist and Facebook whistleblower, Francis Haugen. I think unless Facebook changes, a lot of people are gonna die. And, and the reality is a lot of people do get wiped out by the stock slide. You know, Facebook has a series of whistleblowers. Like I am not the only whistleblower. There's like a new one every two weeks. When Facebook misleads people about the, the value of the company, and when you lie about material issues, you are lying about the value of the company. Hello everyone and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer and welcome to our guest Francis Haugen, former product manager at Facebook Meta, who recently blew the whistle about the company's practices by leaking thousands of internal documents. Francis, great to see you. Thank you for inviting me. So first of all, why did you do it and what is your life like now? <laughs> um, I came forward because I saw that the information that Facebook was withholding from the public was critical to the public public safety, that people needed to know in order to make responsible choices, and that Facebook was uh, consistently resolving trade-offs in a way that was in their own interests and not in the interests of public safety. They were putting profits over people. More so than, say, any other company, hmm. like an oil company or a retailer? I, I think an oil company is a great company to contrast Facebook with, which is oil companies are radically more transparent because we can literally go and put sensors around an oil field. We can measure the pollution. They use satellites to see, are they capping the methane leaks? There are all these things where we can be accountable or that company knows it is accountable in some way. Facebook knows that no matter what activists bring forward, they can uh, just deny that it exists. And one of the things that happened over and over again after I came out was activists would reach out to me and say, I brought this up five years ago. You know, I've been giving them evidence of human trafficking on the platform for, for years, and they always tell me this is, this is just anecdotal. It's not a real trend. It's not actually a big problem. Um, but the documents showed they knew it was a big problem. Was that what the difference was because people have been complaining and pointing fingers yeah. to this company for a long time, but it was the actual physical proof exactly. of those documents, right? Exactly. That's what changed. We now have evidence that these things that have been raised for years, like people have been laying the groundwork, activists have been doing tons of work, and now we have the proof that Facebook knew and didn't resolve these problems. And what about this point of your life and how mm. that's changed? I was in Portugal yeah. Yeah. Um, at the Web Summit and there were thousands of people yeah. there hanging on your every word. Um, uh, I have to say, like, uh, so my life in general has not changed that much. So uh, one of the few blessings of COVID is like, we didn't go out and socialize a lot before. And after I came out, we didn't go out and socialize again. Like um, I, have, um, I have celiacs, so we eat most of our meals at home. Mm. Um, and so the day-to-day -day life has not really changed, but things like Web Summit, um, I really don't like being the center of attention. Like it, I, it gives me um, a, a huge amount of anxiety. And I remember going into Web Summit and thinking to myself, I am so grateful that I am not someone who like gets buzzed off of being the center of attention. Because I could totally imagine that experience being addictive, and instead it was just terrifying. Because like, uh, there's like twelve thousand people there. It's a lot of people. What about Washington yeah. D.C., Francis? Mm -hmm. This is a big question, sure. and you've got both sides of the aisle that yeah. are concerned mm -hmm. about big tech yep. and Facebook in particular, no. and yet they disagree about what the problem is. Mm. Never mind what the solution is. Yeah. 
one of the things I've been trying to do is kind of shift the conversation because Facebook knows that as long as we think the, the, the argument is about censorship, you know, is it too much censorship? Is it not enough censorship? As long as we focus on that as the conflict, we will never resolve it. But what Facebook knows is that there's lots of solutions that don't involve content, right? They involve the dynamics of the algorithm. They involve product choices. Like, should you have a multi-picker that lets you spam out to 10 groups at the same time, the same piece of content? Facebook knows they have all these solutions that aren't about content. And as long as we're arguing about censorship, we're not going to hold them accountable on these other things. And so the main thing that I think there's a point of common ground is, um, you know, people on the left, on the right, believe that people have the right to make informed choices, right? They, that, that you only really can consent or like uh, voluntarily choose to do something if you have enough information to make that choice. And so I've been pushing for what I call like nutrition labels. Hmm. So like, you know, the government doesn't tell us what to put in our mouths, but it does say, hey, if you claim this is in your food, it needs to be in your food. And you need to list how much trans fats is in it. And if you'll notice, the government never banned trans fats, but as soon as consumers had that information, it disappeared from all of our products. We don't have a nutritional label for TikTok. We don't have a nutritional label for Facebook, but the public has a right to have real data, not Facebook artistic data, but like real data on how these platforms work so they can make choices. We're calling it Facebook, but yeah. the company's renamed oh, yeah. itself Meta. Yeah. So yeah. should we be calling it Meta or Facebook, yeah. Francis? Um, I am trying to train myself to say meta because I know a big part about why they made this shift is they want to run away from the conflict. And the reality is that people are, are, are dying. Children are dying, right? Uh, there are going to be women walking around this country with brittle bones in 60 years because Facebook made choices to not stop uh, its algorithms from driving women towards anorexia content, mm. right? Um, uh, this is a crisis, and Facebook thinks they can change its name and just focus on video games, and that it'll all go away. And so I, 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 that's one of my goals in 2022, is to be able to say Meta and Facebook in the same sentence, because we can't let them run away from the damage that they're doing. How would you say that in the same sentence? Oh, uh, like you could say Meta's Facebook, or you could say Meta Facebook. But we need to make sure that uh, uh, you know one of the reasons they did it was they know their employees feel ashamed to admit they work at Facebook, and now they can say they work at Meta. I have a backpack from when I worked there, and and in tech, um, tech companies love giving you swag, you know, a T-shirt that says Google, a backpack that says you know Snapchat. My Facebook backpack had the Facebook logo on the inside. Hmm. I never received a single shirt hoodie, whatever at Facebook that said Facebook. You mean they were concerned even at that point yeah. about their branding and the backlash that it might mm -hmm. produce if you were wearing it in yeah, public? Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I think that's a giant red flag, right? Like, like I, 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 part of my mission and like what motivates me every day is I know that people are suffering inside the company, right? Like, like not um, being willing to admit reality in the present is really hard. That cognitive dissonance is really hard. And I know that Mark Zuckerberg is suffering and that like every time you go into a restaurant and having people give you dirty looks, that has to be hard. And so we need to hold the company accountable and help it grow towards long-term success because the current um, impasse we're in hurts everyone. So what about Mark Zuckerberg, mm -hmm. Francis? Is mm -hmm. he a bad guy? Um, does he have evil intentions? How would you characterize him? 
So I never am willing to call Mark evil. It's funny, in, um, when I appeared um, in front of the UK Parliament, um, there was a, 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 a member of Parliament that was very insistent. They're like, but is this evil? Is this evil? And I, I think it's really important to remember that Facebook is full of very well-intentioned people. And I think it is a problem about incentives. And some of those incentives, um, uh, you know, Facebook has a fiduciary duty to act in the interests of shareholders. And I think it's a lot harder to prove long-term harms than short-term harms. And so Facebook has been stuck in this cycle where when they are faced with these, these conflicts where it's like, you know, you could be 0.1% less profitable, or you have 10% less misinformation, because there is no mandated transparency, mm -hmm. there's, there's, it's very hard to make the business case that you don't choose that 0.1% of profit. So mandating transparency gives another center of mass that gives space for people inside the company to do the right thing. How close were you to Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg? Did you hmm. have any direct contact with them? Nope, as they, as they like to say, I was a low-level employee that I never sat in a C-suite meeting. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a data scientist. You know, I, I worked on uh, civic misinformation and later counter-espionage. Um, you, you, you don't become an algorithmic expert if you like being the center of attention. You know, it's an invisible thing behind the scenes. Um, but the reality is, in Facebook's own documents, I saw the magnitude of the problem and just surveying operationally and organizationally how Facebook worked. Like, I've, I have an MBA from Harvard, right? There's a lot of things where in Silicon Valley, we undervalue the role of leadership and we undervalue the role of organizational health. And I think I had an opportunity to assess, like, what was the feasibility of change in a way that was different than a lot of people because I had had that opportunity for that education. And I, I, I don't think there is, I don't think there's a path to change inside of Facebook without the help of the public. Right, and I mean, you wouldn't necessarily need to have access yeah. to those people to understand that there were problems there. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, my experience there is when you get close to that, there's an echo chamber. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. and and so I want to ask you. I've spent a bunch of time yeah. in Menlo Park, obviously not mm. as much as you have at that on the campus. What was that? What was it like? Oh. You know, the Facebook campus is so fascinating to me as like an architectural object. So um, most people aren't aware, but Facebook has the largest open floor plan office in the world. It is a quarter of a mile long. It sits 5,000 people. Uh, it, is, it is such an amazing, you know, medieval societies built cathedrals because they were societies that were oriented around God, right? Like you have these, these Gothic arches that lead your eye upwards, like to, to the heavens, right? Um, Facebook's campus is a physical manifestation of their obsession with flatness. Like the idea that we are all on the same level, that you know, um, their, their, their leadership style is we have metrics and people can do whatever they want to move those metrics. Like we embrace the freedom of like individual employees. But when you don't acknowledge that power differentials exist, you actually reinforce those power dynamics. And I, I think there are things around um, you know, you, a situation where flatness is obsessed over means there's actually not a lot of space for single leaders to come forward to say there is a problem or we need to make a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. I think it was Orwell who said yeah. everyone's equal except some are more, are more equal, equal than, than others. others. Um, yeah. And then that's not even acknowledged. Yeah. That's a yeah. fascinating, fascinating yeah. point. I want to ask you about this question about yeah. whether Facebook... Actually, can I give you one more little sure, detail? Sure, please. This one. Yeah. To give you a sense of, of how absurd this space is, 
So Facebook is obsessed with 15 and 30 minute meetings. So like they're very efficient. Everyone's, the, they're obsessed with the word crisp. Like are your documents crisp? Is your explanation crisp? Um, the space is so large that I would regularly walk 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes to go to a 30 minute meeting. And so even that level of absurdity that, that is more important for the building to be flat than to be functional for us to go to our meetings, that I, it, it just kind of shows you the, the blindness of that religion. And you've worked at other yeah. big tech companies. Yeah. You've yep. mentioned Google, for mm -hmm. instance. How is Facebook different from these other oh, companies and is it better yeah. or worse? Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like there was more of an acknowledgement of, um, uh, of, of users as equal stakeholders at, at other companies I worked at. So like Google, Google, um, I don't know if people are aware of this, but Google is able to support, you know, thousands of languages, partially because mm. they've built tools that allowed individual communities to move Google into their language. They said linguistic diversity matters mm. at that level. And, you know, even back in the mid 2000s, like I worked on internationalization on Google Books and like there was a real authentic commitment to how do we get into the, the most languages and adequately support them. Um, you know, imagine if Facebook took the same attitude on safety, right? If they came in and said, we live in a linguistically diverse world, let's make sure all of the dialects in Ethiopia are covered. You know, there's 100, there's 100 million people in Ethiopia. They're having a civil war right now that is being amplified by Facebook. Um, they have 100 dialects, six major language families. Imagine if Facebook, instead of being so closed, right? So, so Facebook has full control of their platform. They're the only ones that can see inside. It's full closed. Imagine if they said, we're going to take a, a, a page from the Google Playbook and, uh, and make tools that allow Ethiopians to actually make all the make sure that all the safety systems work in all their languages. It'd be a very different world. Um, and so there's little details like that where um, I, th I think there's an opportunity to open up Facebook and say, you are, you are the internet in most countries. You know, 80 or 90% of the content in most languages in the world is on Facebook. Um, imagine if they came in and said, we, we actually acknowledge that power that we have and we, inv we invite you to collaborate with us, we'd have a very different conversation right now. You mentioned a remedy for Facebook, the problems that you perceive at Facebook yeah. being labeling. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez recently mm -hmm. told Yahoo Finance she thinks Facebook should be broken up, and she gave a few reasons why. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm wondering if you agree with that assessment of the mm -hmm. solution for the problem. Yeah. So I think there's definitely an opportunity in that it gives, um, say, Instagram the ability to have different choices than Facebook. I think there's a big opportunity there. At the same time, um, some of the core problems that I've flagged, which are around something called engagement-based ranking. So engagement-based ranking is where um, Facebook has to decide every day what to show you. There's tens of thousands of options, or Instagram does, same thing. Um, and they have to pick 10, 100 objects to show you first. Mm -hmm. Right now, they prioritize those pieces of content by what can elicit a reaction from you. And unfortunately, even Mark Zuckerberg identified as early as 2018, he did a public white paper and he said, engagement-based ranking is dangerous because people are drawn to extreme content. Even though when we ask them afterwards, they say they don't like it. Breaking up, it, it's very sad. It seems so clean and simple. Just let's break up Facebook, that'll solve the problem. Those problems with engagement-based ranking, like the idea that we give the most reach, the most extreme content, it will just get repeated 
instead of Instagram and but, Facebook. But potentially, yeah. couldn't you have other executives like you could. Kevin Systrom, yeah. for instance, Lee, yeah. I think suggested that he wouldn't have followed the same path necessarily mm -hmm. that I could believe that. Right? I totally believe that. Um, I, but I think it's, it's one of these things where if we think there's a magic bullet there, mm -hmm. unless we have mandated transparency, like unless we find that way to change the incentives, to pull, pull them away from just profit and loss and expenses towards, no, 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 you have to be transparent about all these other things. You're just going to see the problems repeated again. Right, so mandated transparency mm -hmm. to your mind is more important yeah. than breaking up the structure. Unless we have mandated transparency, the incentives will stay the right. same and we will not see different behavior until the incentives change. What about the other fangs? I guess they're not yeah. fangs, they're yeah. mangs because of the F is the M. But yeah. the other big tech companies, the <laughs> yeah. Googles, the Amazons, yeah. the Apples, totally. um, what should we do about them? Are oh, they sure. a problem as well? Yeah. Um, I think there are, so there's this interesting challenge around network effects, right? So in the case of Google, um, as long as Google gets to one of the Googles, let's say we broke up Google, so we're gonna have multiple Googles. As long as we have, um, uh, one of them gets to call themselves Google, it will just reclaim the market share of the other search engines that were broken up out of it. You know, uh, the difference when they say broke up AT&T was each region had a phone network and you had, um, it, was, you, it took some time before you had competition where like you could, you could have one of the baby bells go into the same area as another baby bell. The internet is so flat that I think you'll just see reconvergence where even if you broke up Google and Google clone, as long as you allow original, like one of those to still call itself Google, people will just go back to using Google. But in terms of, um, and so I think that's where the importance of monitoring to make sure that they're not abusing their monopoly power becomes really important. Like making sure they're not locking in consumers unnecessarily, but they're making sure their platforms have access. In the case of things like Apple, um, I guess you could break up like the laptop division from the phone division. Um, but I, I think there is, I think there's more opportunities there around things like the App Store. I'm trying to go to the other places. I've never thought about this. I mean, app. do you, for yeah. instance, buy the fact yeah. that Apple suggests, vociferously yeah. even, that yeah. they're a better actor oh, than Facebook yeah. is? You know, I, uh, so, something someone pointed out to me recently was there aren't Apple whistleblowers. Um, you know, Facebook has a series of whistleblowers. Like, I am not the only whistleblower. There's like a new one every two weeks. And I think part of the difference for that is the transparency of the companies. So, for example, when Apple makes a device, within hours of that device going on shelves, people have literally posted YouTube videos where they've taken that phone apart and verified. They said they had this chip. Hey, they have this chip. Hmm. They said they had this kind of um, uh, accelerator. They have that accelerator. Um, and their inputs are transparent, right? You know, you can, they, we have laws that say you have to say where your supplies come from. Uh, people go and interview the laborers in the factories. And we can put out independent sensors for the pollution, and people do. People put out sensors around factories and say, you are, here's, the, here's the externalities of the thing you're doing. I think that makes face, uh, Apple work in more responsible ways because they know people are watching. Right. I mean, in yeah. a sense, they're all the same, these big tech companies. Yeah. In a sense, they're all very all different. different. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of investors watching this, Francis. And yeah. I'm curious, are you an investor? Would you Do you mm. own these stocks? Yeah. Would you buy these stocks? Would you short these stocks? Ah, would you short Meta, Facebook? If, so I, can I, you? Would I, you? I, I'm a large holder of Facebook stock because I can't sell it. Why can't you sell it? Because I'm an insider. Oh, right. wow. 
right? Because I... That's kind I, of a bummer then, right? Yeah. Well, I, I have experienced the stock slide. I, I have felt the pain along with everyone else. Um, well, this is interesting the, because sure. when, the, when they came yeah. out with earnings the other day, yeah. you tweeted out that um, the company, uh, the stock decline resulted from the company lying about material yes. issues. So you're actually tweeting against your own holding then, I guess, in a sense. I, you know, I, I, I think people, I think unless Facebook changes, a lot of people are going to die. And, and the reality is a lot of people do get wiped out by the stock slide. Like a, a lot of people sent me memes, very funny memes of um, like, um, there's a, an amazing graphic right now of, do you remember um, Mark Zuckerberg riding the hydrofoil? Mm -hmm. Right, he has the American yeah. flag, yeah, he's riding I, the right. hydrofoil. Yeah. It's a classic <clears throat> internet object. Um, someone had juxtaposed just that and the stock going down, right? Like him surfing the stock going down. Yeah. And, and, and a bunch of people like, message them all to me they're like oh you should tweet this out and the reality is like as as a shareholder you know when facebook misleads people about the the value of the company and when you lie about material issues you are lying about the value of the company that's that's the core of our sec complaint um people get hurt right people's retirements get wiped out you know people have written to me and said i have friends who had you know this is not good investment advice they had 50% of their holdings, they had 60% of their holdings, 70% of their holdings in Facebook because no one thought Facebook was gonna go down. Like I looked at the cost of puts right before it happened and no one thought Facebook was gonna go down a week before it did. Like we're talking, it was pennies for puts that were 10% less than the value of Facebook. Mm. Um, I'm really, I love studying um, options markets because it's like the collective intelligence of the world. Right, I'm, I'm a data scientist, so I love these things. Um, and, you know, people got deeply hurt by this stock slide. And we forget that. We forget the emotional side and we forget that it's real people's lives. So, is the stock a lost cause? I mean, would yeah. you buy the stock? Would I buy the stock? Um, I don't give financial advice. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I, I think there are, um, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from that. Yeah, one. <laughs> fair enough. I mean, you're you're not a stock yeah, picker. Not a stock you're picker. you're a data scientist. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's fair. If you want me to write you an AI, they'll tell you where it's gonna go tomorrow. That's a problem I can do, but not not stay today. Stay tuned for that yeah. one. Um, I, I want to ask you as a news yeah. person. There's been a debate about whether or not Facebook mm -hmm. is a platform or a mm. news organization. Ooh, I wonder what your question. thinking is on that yeah. and whether that even matters. Sure. So this is one of those interesting questions. So I, I, um, a lot of people write in and ask for advice around um, how to talk about Facebook, mm -hmm. right? Like where does responsibility lie? Because I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of keeping protections in say Section 230, which is um, the laws around neutrality of platforms and uh, liability. Um, I'm a strong proponent of keeping protections for individual pieces of content because we really we can't really run the internet if you remove that liability. We could have a longer conversation on it. It's it's very complicated. But I'm a strong proponent of that Facebook should be responsible for patterns of behavior and choices they make about their algorithms. So like if they're presented over and over again with an option of less misinfo for a little bit of profit, you know, if they keep choosing profit over and over and over again, they should be responsible for those consequences. Or there's a second thing, which is um, there's content, a huge fraction of the content in your, your newsfeed you never asked for, right? So Facebook came in and said, because your friend commented on this, you should, you should get it. Uh, because we just think you'd like it, you should get it. I think Facebook should be responsible for that content um, because they've made a bunch of intentional product choices 
to um, that were in their business interest that we have paid the cost of in terms of more extreme content, in terms of rabbit holes, people getting you know, sucked into these echo chambers. Do you think this company, Meta, Facebook, is in decline? I mean, part hmm. of the reason why the stock went down is because they had a decline in DAUs. Delight, first time. They've first never, time. They've never had one. So what does that tell you about the future of this company? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've said repeatedly, I view the work that I'm doing as in the best interests of Facebook. Like it might not feel that way today, but Facebook needs help to make long-term successful choices instead of optimizing so hard on the, on the short term. And like having an environment where people like being on the platform, where, where they feel safe, where they feel like they're getting high quality information, that is a path to long-term success. Until Facebook takes responsibility and is just honest with people, until they change their relationship with the public, I think they're gonna keep seeing users leave. Have you been in contact or have top executives at Facebook been in contact mm, with you or no. any executives been in contact with you? Uh, uh, I, director level, but not above, not above that. Um, there's a lot of really good people inside of Facebook. And one of the things that I hope comes out of the work I'm doing is that they have more space to be able to act. Rather, you know, the company's already said that they are going to invest some more money. Um, I, I don't think it's enough. Like, did you know that they're doing $75 billion of buybacks? Isn't that crazy? Crazy. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, when they say they're going to invest $5 billion in safety in the next year, it's like, well, yeah, but you lit on fire $75 billion. I mean, like, right. could you have done $10 billion in safety? But, but my actions do open up space inside the company for those good people to be able to make progress. And so that's always my hope. And what about the future of the internet? Mm. Francis, big Ooh, question. With, I love that um, question. You know, it looks right now, for yeah. instance, simplistically, the United States, yeah. China, Europe. Yeah. Is that going to be the future going hmm. forward that there are at least three sort of geographies and distinct internets increasingly? Yeah. So I, I don't think, um, so I, I, I think you're totally right that Europe is taking a different regula regulatory perspective. But in terms of networks, I believe if you look at it, I don't think Europe and, and the United States are going to um, isolate. So like when you say China, China does have a closed internet. And the thing that I'm scared about is Russia and China have made indications that they may kind of merge their closed internet. Like they're talking about building their own closed financial system. They're talking about having their own closed internet. And I think once you start separating the internet and separating the financial systems, that's where things start to get dangerous. Because you are, once you begin operating so independently, then you have opportunities for conflict. I think there's some really interesting conversations happening right now around the role of decentralization. So you might have heard of DeFi, you might have heard of Web3 or like crypto-based networks. And those are going to open some really interesting conversations because this is software that doesn't run in the United States or run in Europe or run in Africa. It, it runs everywhere simultaneously. You know, it's applications that instead of running in a data center, they're all running in little kind of pockets everywhere on these decentralized networks. And so I think there's going to be um, unquestionably sometime in the next, you know, five years probably, a social network where no one is responsible for it. And is that so, good or bad? It's a really interesting conversation. It depends how it's designed. There's ways of designing these networks where you do safety not based on content, but you do it based on the dynamics of the network. And if they make those kinds of decisions where they're like, oh, interesting, you know, we're going to cut reshare chains at two. Right, so that means Alice writes something 
Bob reshares it. Carol reshares it. It lands in Dan's newsfeed. Imagine if Dan had to copy and paste that content in order to share it. So you can't just hit a button. He has to copy and paste it. That change has the same impact as the whole third-party fact-checking program today. So it sounds sort of like yeah. a social network kind of based on blockchain in a way. It could be, yeah. Right? I think there's going to be one at some point. I mean, I know you're yeah. a big, correct me if I'm wrong, crypto fan. Or... I, I, I do believe in, in, in the power of crypto. Right, Yeah. right. Yeah. Talk about, I mean, I don't want to go way down that rabbit yeah. hole. We don't have too much sure. time. But yeah. tell us why you're enamored of crypto oh, and blockchain. Uh, um, uh, so I'm I'm a big proponent of um, uh, actually I, I'm not I, I always try not to give investment advice because people do no, ask me this question. Okay. Um, I do think there are interesting opportunities though around um, you know we're getting uh, new models of how to run finance systems so like the DeFi networks. You know the rules are transparent. We all see exactly how they operate, and I, I think there are interesting conversations around governance that a lot of mm -hmm. these crypto projects are experimenting with new ways of doing corporate governance, right? In terms of who gets to influence what decisions and how. And um, as someone who really values organizational design and organizational health, I'm intrigued to see where they go. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't think I have enough expertise to envision the future. I want to ask you about your background. You sure. said you went to Harvard. I knew you went to mm -hmm. Olin undergraduate, grew up in Iowa City. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about your background, upbringing, Mm -hmm. You think that informed you in terms of the decisions you made to oh, say blow the whistle and yeah, um, so I'm extremely grateful. So I attended um, uh, the Franklin W. Olin College of Engineering. It's in the western suburbs of Massachusetts. It's near Wellesley, and um, it's a very small college. You know, it's 75 students a year, but they believe that in order to be an impactful engineer and a responsible engineer you have to have more context. And so Olin intentionally incorporates more humanities into their curriculum than um, most engineering programs. And they also incorporate um, design and entrepreneurship. And it's based on the idea that engineers that can go found successful companies um, are ones both that understand the dynamics of entrepreneurship, but they also understand people. Because really good leaders are people who understand what drives human beings. And so I think the fact that I had the opportunity to um, go to Olin uh, gave me more context. I think the fact that I did high school debate and I coached high school debate, mm -hmm. you know, like I've, I've had to sit there and, and um, you know, wrestle with 14-year-olds on like, how should society be structured? Huh. So like, think of, think of your 14-year-old being like, that's not fair. And imagine having to teach them how to unpack that and be like, how do we have a conversation about why is it not fair? Tell me more. Um, I think those things made me care more about democracy and like mm -hmm. what is the role of a technologist in a democracy. And so, I don't know, I, I think all those things influenced me. And final question, Francis, mm -hmm. what's next for you oh, and what do you see you. as your legacy if it's not too totally. early to ask that? <laughs> I love five months into my whistleblow. It's yeah. like, what's your legacy? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, um, I'm my big focus in 2022 is around um, helping to plant a decentralized youth-led movement around social media. Decentralized, I'm sorry? A decentralized youth-led movement mm -hmm. around um, uh, transparency and accountability for technology. Um, and so we are starting a college tour this spring, and the goal is around giving tools to young people, um, like basically educating them and saying, like, here are levers that we believe exist to either put pressure on Facebook or ways that you can build networks of resiliency because young people are dying, right? And until we can get Facebook to do the responsible thing, 
young people can make a difference by caring for each other. And so um, that's my big focus that I'm working on right now. And uh, that is going to live under a nonprofit that we're in the process of founding. And the nonprofit is going to have two main focuses initially. One is planting that movement, which will eventually get spun off. And the second is something called open source integrity. So open source integrity is the idea that we, the public, need tools, assets that allow us to hold Facebook accountable. So that means our, our own data, right? Our own ways of analyzing these things, simulated social networks. Um, because right now you can't get a master's degree in these safety systems, right? And we as a, as a civilization need 10,000 more of these people minted every year. And so I wanna figure out the tooling where we can have that be true. Francis Haugen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me, this is great. You've been watching Influencers, I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.